Hello, hello. Welcome to the Autism 360 podcast, the 360 method, a weekly podcast where we talk about everything Autism 360. Each week we'll be catching you up with what's going on in the program, chatting with team members and special guests, and talking all things mindset, as well as exploring relevant ideas that autism parents think about. This week, I'm so excited to chat with one of our gorgeous OTs, Andrea, um, who's here on the program, and she's going to demystify the world of occupational therapy and also share some stories about her wins here on the program. Hi, welcome everyone. Glad that you can join us. Yes, um, Andrea hails from Sydney, Australia, and has been working in occupational therapy for 20 years. Um, she's been with Autism 360 for about a year, right? I, when I was thinking, I was like, oh my gosh, it's her one year birthday. Yeah, very soon. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's what I thought. So Andrea lives with her partner, two kiddos and their dog and loves netball. And I am your host, Ella Bailey. I'm an Autism 360 veteran coach and explorer of all things parenting support. Before becoming an Autism 360 team member, I worked in psychological research and behavioral psychology. And this week is my three-year Autism 360 anniversary. Woo! I know, I'll be expecting cake. Um, <laughs> so welcome to you, our lovely listeners. We're so grateful to have you with us and we care about your thoughts and experiences. So whether you're a program member or not, we would love to hear from you. Please do drop us a line at hello at autism360.com. We would love your feedback and questions. And if you've got more questions for Andrea, well, we might just have to nab her again and get her back on to answer your questions. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation on whose land I live and work and from where this podcast is being broadcast today. And also make the disclaimer that this podcast does not substitute for medical advice. If you're concerned about yourself or about a loved one, please do reach out for medical support. So, Andrea, I'm excited to dive into the world of OT because... Sometimes it's, sometimes I'm just not sure. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like it, people are kind of uh, not necessarily sure about what OT is all about or what they should be expecting. So I guess we should start at the beginning and like, what drew you into being interested in being an OT? What's your, what's your inspo story? Ah, well, so funny that you asked because I was always going to be a primary school teacher right up until year 12 and then for some reason I just thought I think you know a few people said oh don't do teaching so I was like oh what else can I do and then OT just popped in my head and really the only kind of exposure I'd had to occupational therapy was um, my dad had a car accident when I was younger and he was in hospital, he did lots of rehab and he had an OT. And so obviously I kind of had that context of what OT did in terms of rehabilitation after an accident. Um, and so I went in and, um, yeah, but then along the way, I think probably my first year at uni, I'm like, oh, wow, they can work with kids too. Well, bonus, there we go. I'll do that. Totally. So you got to have a little of column A, a little of column B, and like happy meet in the middle. Yeah, 
I had a friend who, a very talented friend who I was at uni with um, on the same campus um, and she did OT and we shared, uh, I think we did human bio together in first year, like a very kind of broad um, introduction to human bio. And I remember just sort of thinking like something, something similar to physio. I'm going to leave it there, you know, Um, and that was kind of my only understanding. But when do you think was the first time that you ever really felt that like, aha, this is, this is my place. This is where I belong. I found my thing feeling. Yeah, I think um, probably when, probably when I did get to do my placement mm-hmm. with, um, when I was in uni and I did get to do a paediatric placement, I was like, this is great. This is really what I want to do. Um, my first job was in a hospital, so I didn't get to work in PEDS straight away just because there wasn't any openings. But, yeah, kind of took the first opportunities I got to kind of move into working in paediatrics. So I kind of just knew that, yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Um, I thought, I don't know, I just think kids are really cute until you have your own and they are not so cute anymore. And then um, the picture becomes a bit more complicated. (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Um, And, I mean, what do you think most people think that OT is? And do you think that they're right? Well, that's a funny one. I remember at uni having people go, oh, so you're going to become a basket weaver. I was like, what? I'm like, oh, what is that? Apparently that comes from back in the war, so like in the 1920s when OTs worked with soldiers recovering from the war. Um, So, and one of the activities they sometimes got them to do was make baskets and weave baskets. So, yes, so it comes from all the way back there. So I I don't personally know how to weave a basket, so I never learned that at uni. (laughs) Underqualified, Andrea. Where's your basket weaving skills? <laughs> Amazing. I know, I know, I know. So it's really interesting. I think OT started off back like in the early 1900s and they used to work in some of the mental institutions and it was kind of when they really start to kind of branch away from that medical model and it all being about medication and realising that, you know, like if we can keep people active and participating in, you know, daily routines, having leisure pursuits, quality of life, that actually made their recovery better. So, yeah, so it's really interesting. So initially OT kind of started in the TB, the tuberculosis sanatoriums, when people were kind of isolated to those you know, hospitals to recover. Wow, I didn't know hospitals. that. Yeah. Yeah, soldiers after the war. Mm-hmm. And then it's just branched out. And I think the problem why it's so hard for people to kind of define what OT is, is it's very, very broad. Yes. So depending on where you come into contact with an OT is usually kind of what you think. So they do, obviously, aged care, mental health. They'll even do workplace assessments. 
return to work after people have had workplace injuries and accidents, rehabilitation, and then obviously with children. Um, so I think the thing that draws all of those different things together is this idea that, um, that whatever you do, so your occupation, which for a child would be play, would be maybe being a student once they get to school, might be learning, might be being a friend, being a sibling, being a, a child, so a son, a daughter. So that that's really valuable and really important and that idea that people can succeed and have mastery and feel like oh, I'm doing a good job, I can do this, I can be independent, I can succeed that that's so good for their mental as well as their physical and emotional health. So I think wow. that is kind of the underpinning of whatever area you're in is that functioning in life, whatever you choose to do in your roles, whether it be work, leisure, hobbies, that you can do that and wow. you get the best achievement and enjoyment from that. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I love the idea that like a child's occupation is play. Play, totally. It's play. totally play. I love that. Like that's their main job. Their main job, yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I think it's a shame that, you know, we sometimes push the academics so early in schooling. And I know other countries like Sweden don't do that. You know, they wait till the children are seven before yep. they hit formal schooling. So I think as much as we can, if we can keep learning fun and play-based, yeah, it's, um, yeah. So yep. I think in OT, again, with kids, it's very varied. Mm -hmm. But we'll come back to, okay, what's really important for that child and that family? Where do they want to get success and mastery? Um, and it can be things like, you know, play with some of some children, like autistic children, that won't come naturally to them. Um, and obviously, learning how to play alongside, play with children, um, learning how to do and participate in some of the self care tasks, mm -hmm. um, then kind of being able to participate at school. So, um, yeah, lots of people will kind of see, will kind of say, oh, so you work on handwriting. That's another one I get a lot. So I'm like, oh, yeah, we do, if it's important. I don't always feel like it's necessarily the most important thing, but obviously if it helps the child participate at school, then sure, we'll, we'll look at that. And so we kind of look at the, the physical motor stuff like, you know, can they physically do a task? How can we make it easier? But we also look at the sensory aspect um, and the kind of cognitive aspect, like learning, memory, retention, processing, that kind of thing. So, um, and really we work with it, we work as a team. So it's really important because obviously speeches and psychologists bring so much to the table as well. So I think if you can work in a team and work with the family, because basically the parents are the experts, you know your child in and out. 
Um, I see them maybe once an hour, once a week, and you're with them all day, every day. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I see a lot when parents come to us. They're sort of very, um, and by us, I mean the kind of autism 360 clinicians they're very they're very much you know will come to us for answers and and be wanting us to help them problem solve and then by the end they're kind of understanding so much more themselves they feel so much more like they can problem solve independently around their kids needs I love seeing that sort of thing you're right it's about teamwork but ultimately like parents and carers they know what they're they know what's up yeah yeah Absolutely. Speaking of parents and carers, I'm so, I love hearing like people's success stories. Do you have any, like any good ones that you want to share? Any, um, any successes from the program of clients you've had? Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this lovely little boy and his mum that I've been working with. Um, And I just think they have just made phenomenal progress like it's just so lovely and um, I was just saying to the mum yesterday you know like it's because he really she takes on board ideas and she just runs with it and we do a bit of it like a brainstorming and then she'll kind of pick what she thinks might work for kids you know so we've actually worked through like kind of like a bit of a a spectrum of things. So we started off working like around emotional regulation. So being able to identify and communicate like his feelings and what, you know, what he was feeling. Um, And then we kind of worked on also kind of managing big emotions kind of next. So once we can kind of identify and um, so he had great success with, you know, the um, calming cards. He'd go and he'd look at them and he'd pick one and mum and him would go and do it together. Um, so that worked really, really well. Um, and I think um, mum's learned heaps of ways to kind of avoid, you know, those triggers and really manage from such an early, the early outset. So, I mean, that's always wonderful, isn't it? If you can yeah. Oh, my gosh. Preventative stuff. I love that. And sort of um, things proactive rather than reactive regulatory strategies are just chef's kiss. So good, so good. And this little boy wouldn't let mum ever kind of go anywhere um, on his own, on her own. So he would always have to go. Mum couldn't pop to the shop. And we've worked on some separation strategies and he just really took that idea, you know, of the invisible strength. And it really worked for him. And just gradually, 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 that's really become so much easier. Mum can pop to the shop. And go and get things or even with dad or grandma. I mean, yeah. what a difference that can kind of make to your life. Quality of life, isn't it? It's quality of life improvement. And that's just makes my heart sing. I know. I know. Mm. Mm. 
Absolutely. I remember I had sent a client to you and this client was struggling, I think, with some core stability issues and you suggested a bunch of fun, play-based, um, like swinging type activities um, and those sorts of things. And oh my gosh, did that family take that and run with it? And our little kiddo was struggling to be able to do full days at school um, because his core was weakening and he was getting really tired and starting to stumble. It was affecting his gait kind of later in the day. But they've been so good with the the exercises that you gave them that he's now back up to full five days at school I know yes Yes. and he loves school and he was you know he was bummed out that he couldn't make it the whole day and and be with his friends and those sorts of things and now he's he's doing full days I know I know it's really really good I'm so delighted for them totally it's just, it's so good, isn't it, when you can kind of make make a real lasting shift. Yeah. Like, that kind of really helps the child do something that they want to do or um, so good, so good. And, and again, it's that like what's important to that child? Like what's their occupation? And his occupation is he wants to be at school with his friends, like being engaged with his life. Yeah. OT, they're the the heroes. And I have this really interesting question um, from a listener who I thought um, could benefit from your wisdom, and her name is Esther. She's from Perth, and she says, my child's OT just plays games with them. There isn't much time to get updates after session, and I'm not sure what we're achieving in these sessions. How can I tell if my child is making progress in these sessions? Good one, right? I feel like I've heard that before as well. Yes, I have, and different versions of that. Um, so, look, I think firstly I'd always kind of say to that, look, OTs do use a lot of games and play because um, that's a fun way to help children engage in learning new skills, particularly that might be hard for them. So children are much more likely to, to practice a skill, learn a new skill if it's presented in a fun way. So that's definitely a big strategy because if the child doesn't want to come, um, doesn't want to practice, then we're not going to make much progress. So games are great. Um, but also I think that... Um, that communication with the therapist is so important. So what I would recommend um, would be to have a conversation with the therapist and just kind of say, look, um, is there an opportunity that we can catch up and do, I used to call them like um, a parent-only session, right? And it could be just in place of your child's session, just say, look, one week, can I do a catch-up with you? Instead of your usual session with my child, can we do a catch-up where we just talk about progress, where my child's at, how things are going, what can I do at home? Because I really feel that is where change and improvement happens. So, yeah, you could do that monthly, you could do that once a term, um, twice a year. You could just say, look, can we allocate the first 15 minutes or the last 15 minutes 
to a parent chat. Sometimes that can be hard when the child's present. Um, so that's why sometimes it can be good to just do it in place of if you can get a babysitter for your child um, or leave them at school rather than take them early and have a chat. I think it's really, really important that you understand the why. So talk about your goals because, you know, sometimes, um, you know, your therapist might be working on handwriting, but you're having major issues taking your child to the shops or getting your child to go to bed. Um, and you need to communicate that to your therapist and make sure they know what you want to work on. Like, you know, I think it's really important that you set goals together with your therapist. Say this is, and that's how you know you're making progress, which is the other element of this question, you know. So I think if you can really establish a goal together, find out, okay, what's happening now? And how do I want it to be improved? So um, it might be you want to see a reduction in tantrums. It might be you want to see your child allow you to brush their teeth. Um, and then you can really kind of then see if that functional skill is improving. Because OT should really be about function, like something that you can see improving. And then you can kind of go, oh, wow, we only had two meltdowns or two tantrums this week instead of 10. Or my child, every second night, my child's letting me brush his teeth. Then you know you're making progress. So it's those kind of things. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so I really think have a good chat about it so that the goal is clear and measure, you know, that pre and that post, right? We're going to do a term of OT. Maybe you want to see the handwriting be more legible. Okay, well, what will that look like? Will it have spaces between the words? Will the letters sit on the line? Things that you can see. And then at the end of the block, you go, okay, let's have a look at the handwriting. And oh, wow, look, I've got 10 spaces in my page instead of none or you can then measure the progress, which I think you, you need to do. And NDIS wants to see that as well. You know, that's really important progress towards your goals. Otherwise you do, you need to rethink if this therapy is working for your child, if they're making any progress. And if not, then looking at a different style of occupational therapy and, you know, trying someone else to see if it fits better yeah yeah totally and I think something that you that you touched on there is sort of um again brings us back to quality of life like yes you might be working to improve your handwriting say but if your OT doesn't know that oh actually we're having more struggles with actually getting kid to school um then that's going to be a much big have a much bigger impact on your quality of life if your OT can help you work on that but they can't know that unless um you know parents and carers really reach out and carve a communication channel that works for both parties um yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it could be I mean it could be email even you know you totally. have to talk to your therapist um I know they're busy but um you can just say like you know let's do 
45 minute sessions or yeah absolutely half an hour sessions and then can you allocate that extra time to answering my emails or having phone calls me um yes. yeah exactly i think they really do need to know really all those things you won't know unless you ask them if they can help you with it totally behavior issues at home they mm -hmm. might go oh wow i think that's sensory related i think i can help you with that and yep. if not they might point you in the direction of something or someone else Yes, yes, absolutely. I hope that's helpful, Esther. Um, if it is, get in touch. Um, if it isn't, get in touch and we can brainstorm again. Um, but, Andrea, I've got to let you go. You're a busy woman. <laughs> but thank you for coming and chatting with me. I appreciate your time. Is there some, like, I don't know, maybe some key points or... Um, Anything you would like to emphasise for our for our wonderful listeners? Well, I just think coming back to like Esther's question, I think the best thing is to, you know, really engage with your therapist. Um, think of it as a partnership, you know, where you can both give and take, like, and think about communicating goals to them that are really going to make the biggest difference in your and your child's life. Um, and work just really on small steps. You know, it only has to be small steps that you make towards those things that are going to make a big difference, whether that be self-care skills or emotional regulation. Um, and that little bit of practice, try and ask them for things that you can do in your everyday activities. So that it's not an extra job for you to do, but there might be something that you can do while you're driving in the car or while you're eating, having dinner, or while they're playing outside in the backyard. Is there something else that you can include that will help reach towards your goals? Yeah, I love that idea. It's so much more sustainable, isn't it, to embed it within your family's current routine than trying to add something into lives that are already pretty busy. So busy. So busy. And just remember that you're the one as the parent that's going to make the biggest difference in your child's life and you know your child's best. So go for it. You can make the difference. Yes. How good is that? Thank you so much. Yes, to you, Andrea, and thank you to our lovely listeners for tuning in this week. We'll be back next week uh, with another um, episode um, with uh, another interesting guest. Um, so thank you uh, so much again to Andrea for coming. Um, and until then, I hope you bring the progress home with Autism 360.